And uh, it is true that uh, you have to work with what you have, but that's true any, in any new endeavor. You, uh, we have to get out and mix up with them. I mean, we can't, uh, like, you, like Brother Bullock was saying, you know, he'd like to have a, an interpreter that already has the Holy Ghost and all of that, but you have to use what you've got. And she's a potential saint, praise God. Amen. I, he has my confidence and uh, my prayers. And I, I'm really looking for great things to happen there. I don't know who all will be going over, but I, I just have an idea Brother Wheeler will be over there mixing it up with them here pretty quick. And I, I couldn't think of a greater uh, aid and help in that work than a man like Brother Wheeler, one of our capable, one of our best Bible teachers. It is true. Those that don't slow down long enough to listen uh, may not understand that, may not believe that. But I've listened to him, and I can tell you one thing. He gets it right, and he goes into detail, and he keeps the proper balance through it all. He's a great man of God, great, great Bible teacher. He'd be a great asset there when you get the, the hard work done. Amen. Hallelujah. The hard work is to open that door and get it ready. A lot of work. And I believe God picked the right man for it. I like Brother Bullock's mannerisms. I can see why the Russians would like him. he got a big smile. He's courteous, intelligent, and he's got a message. Hallelujah. got his life in line. I can just see him stepping up there with a big grin and... Uh, getting into the basics they just want the basics this bible is so beautiful what an opportunity what a thrill it would be brother to be able to have people that were hungry that knew nothing about it we were we're working in in uh, old spoiled minds minds have been so spoiled and mixed up but uh, theirs have too no doubt but some of the beautiful analogies and allegories in the scriptures what a thrill it would be to see their their countenance light up as they begin to see that God has had a program all along. Amen. He didn't just uh, start in at Calvary. But God had that in mind way back in the Garden of Eden. And he filled the Old Testament full of uh, uh, pointing arrows, directional things, to so that we would recognize when the Lamb of God did come, we would know how to appreciate him. And the Apostle Paul did not neglect to go back into the Old Testament and uh, lift. Jesus himself said, study the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And he didn't say, for in them you have eternal life, but you think you do. But he said, they are they that testify of me. Hallelujah. We have eternal life through him. But the Old Testament prepared our minds, amen, uh, for the great event. Praise God. I, I, I wish I could preach two or three times right today, and, and you'd be fresh each time. But uh, I, I had an opportunity. I, I went to church. It was I got it on the run. Had a lot of things doing that day. I went home from Sunday school, or Sunday. We don't have Sunday school, really, but Sunday church, Sunday morning service. We do for the children. We dismiss them to classes. But um, then the phone started ringing, and I had some pretty major problems. And my mind was tied up all day. I was on the phone, got a cauliflower ear. And uh, lo and behold, it's church time, and I jump in the pickup, and God, you're going to have to help me get to church. And still, my mind and everything's just still rolling from, every, from the activities of the day. It's pretty treacherous places I walked in that day. 
and uh, and God blessed me with the thought. I'm not going to preach it, but I got to thinking about how that Jesus took center stage, and uh, it unrolled, it unraveled while I was preaching it. But all the other characters were just supporting actors, and uh, every every analogy, everything that ever happened in the Old Testament, they were just supporting characters. But when he came on the scene, thank God, you know the hero got here then. Hallelujah. Did I ever have fun that night? Praise God. No preparation for it either. But I want to preach to us or talk to us or reason with us today in the Scriptures. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. I want to talk about a remedy, a remedy, the remedy. And uh, if you'd like to open your Bibles, we'll go to our first Scripture in Jeremiah. And, of course, it's so... It's such a familiar scripture, but uh, tell me something that's not. And this whole book's familiar to us to a certain extent. We read it, we study it, but this is something I think and always have thought is so beautiful and so hopeful. Amen. I want to say that I've, I've really enjoyed being here. This will be my uh, perhaps my last service. I asked Brother McDaniels if he would if, give me permission to leave this afternoon and maybe skip church tonight. I've got, I want to go to New Orleans with Brother Lawler. And I said, is that going to upset you? And he said, well, yes, it's going to upset me. I said, well, all right, then I'll stay. Don't, don't worry about it. And, uh, of course, I've already come to know that he's, he's easily entreated. And uh, he was teasing, I think. All right. <laughs> but it's, it's been a pleasure even hearing Brother Townley preach. He's inspired me particularly last night that uh, we do need to let our light shine. Now, I know you're standing, but you've been sitting, and you're going to be sitting. And so I'm always conscious when people are standing. You know, you think the preachers forgot, left us standing on our feet. Don't ever worry about me. I know when you're standing. And uh, so just keep standing there for just a little while. I was reminded of one of the young men that left our church, and what a soul winner he, he was. He came in, and uh, as you mentioned, he was a new convert. And uh, we've counted at least eight young men that are in our church due to his outreach. And was he ever clumsy? He stood at a child line. Brother Lawler knows all about this. <laughs> and big old, tall, broad-shouldered, I mean a specimen of a man. And uh, not the most handsome person, but whoever saw a handsome man anyhow. But uh, he looked handsome to me because he loved God. And he'd stand there, I guess if he's dishing out the mashed potatoes at the child line, he'd dip in, and as he put it in his plate... He'd tell them all, if you're not baptized in Jesus' name, get the Holy Ghost, you're going to hell. And the next one stuck up, he'd tell them the same thing. One day he got in a brig, and uh, I called his chaplain. The chaplain said, uh, well, I'm glad you called. We don't know what to do with this young man. He destroyed government property. And I said, really, uh, what did he do? He said, he took his knife and cut the cord off of the jukebox. <laughs> He got tired of hearing that music. And he said he unplug it, but they'd plug it back in, so he just cut the cord off of it. And I said, well, you know, sir, that's, that's not really a, a great lot of destruction. It's not enough to warrant putting a man in, in the brig over. And he said, well, he has to have some discipline. And uh, we were really wondering if might, he might not need psychiatric care. He said he, he really is causing a stir out here. He said he's telling these young men they're going to go to hell and all this type of thing. And... I talked to him while I said, well, if you really want my opinion, there's really no, nothing wrong with him, and a psychiatrist is not going to help him one little bit. I would recommend that you put him under my care. 
And he said, uh, you're the pastor of the church? And I said, I am. He said, all right, we'll dismiss him and put him in your care. And I said, I'll take care of him. Don't worry, he'll be all right. He won't cut any more cords off. He'll be okay. And uh, within two weeks, he was out of that man's army. <laughs> That's how they handled that one. And he shouldn't have been in there anyway, except God sent him there. <laughs> but you talk about a witness. Uh, he, he certainly did do that. He asked me one day, he, he was real nervous, and he would stutter a little bit at first. I, I, I don't know how to approach people. And I said, well, that's true, but whatever you're doing is working. And he said, but, but, but I'd like for you to, uh, to kind of show me. So uh, I took him downtown. We went to a restaurant, and I gave him a few, maybe a little bit better way to, you know, other than just you're going to hell. But uh, my method didn't work for him. Uh, the waitress would come. I'd notice she had a southern accent. I'd say, uh, say, you're not from around here, are you? This way I'd open it up. She'd say, no. I said, what part of the country are you from? She might say, Viter. You know, oh, i got a friend down in Viter. Say, have you found a church since you've been here? No? Well, look, here's... And I, I just went through quite a few like that. man walked up with an accordion, and uh, I said, I like the way you play. I, I wish we had somebody play that well in our church. He said, what church you have? And I said, come and see. And, you know, there's all kinds of ways you can open a door. Right. Uh, you, don't, you don't just have to walk up. And, and, uh, and, but he did, it, it worked good with him. So I really shouldn't have touched him. I should have left him alone. I said, tell, go on, tell them they're going to hell. Whatever it takes, get them here. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> We've got the remedy. And I want to talk about the remedy today. I really appreciate that, brother, and all your preaching. I, I love that inspiration he has. And uh, I, I believe it comes from a pure intention and pure motives. And you, we've been blessed this week. Amen. And uh, it's not over yet. Hallelujah. He promised us that I forgot what he said about dancing, some kind of a dance he, he named. The Cucklebur? Huckleburr? No. I've been, I've been watching Crooper? Cropper? Cropper? And I about got it. I... I I had to watch him. Well, he's got the most unusual step, and uh, he's he's got the physique for it. It works just fine. But I found out what he was doing on the beat. This foot don't mean anything. This is a lead out, but the beat is this one, and then he'll twist it. I haven't got it down pat. Brother. Well, if I had a little music, it'd help. <laughs> Brother McDaniels looked at him and said, Do you need a dancer in your church? And I said, I'd take about a half dozen of these. This would, sure, this would help us. Praise God. It's been a, an encouragement to, to come here to be with you again. It's such a powerful church, such a great leadership in this church. Brother McDaniels is an honorable man. He's a good watchman. And uh, I admired him way before I got acquainted with him. I've seen him under the gun, and if he preaches self-control and if he preaches uh, watching your poise and watching your your facial uh, reaction to uh, when you're in the opposition, if he preaches it, I want you to know he practices it. I have seen him un under bombardment, and I watched his spirit, and I, I, I envied the ability that he had to to remain calm and sweet. Now, you've probably seen another side of that. I understood that I won't go into that. 
he uh, he does occasionally break his pattern. Amen. But this is a great church, and, and it's a great privilege, and we just considered it an honor to be asked again to come. I'm always disappointed in myself, and I never feel like I've done what I wanted to do. But I, I think well, I could say that probably for all of you. We, we always feel that way. I'm sure Brother Townley goes home at night after doing what he does here. He probably goes home kicking himself, wondering why he didn't say this or say that. And his wife might even do what mine does. Well, why did you tell him that? Why did you leave that scripture out? But uh, I tell her, I said, it's a whole lot different being out there with the leather in your face and sitting in the corner. Amen. You know, the, the trainer can tell him, you know, while he's slapping him in the face and and, and pouring water on his head and all that kind of stuff, trying to get his eyes from not to be crossed. Uh, get, get your left hand in his face. Get your left. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you don't understand. That, you don't understand the situation. So we're going to try to uh, not worry about anything today. And just uh, I got plenty of time. I've never taken my full amount of time. I might take it today. Go ahead. Got an hour and 15 minutes. That'll be plenty, really. Maybe. Hopefully. In the book of Jeremiah, the eighth chapter, the uh, 20th verse, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. What a gruesome thing to say. But listen, for the hurt of the daughters of my people am I hurt. I am black. Astonishment hath taken hold of me. And why? Why would he be so astounded, and why would he have such a dark mood? And why would he say that uh, the summer's ended and we're still not saved here? Well, there's a question, but I don't really think that it was intended to be just fully a question. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? There's a question mark there. I think it was meant more of, of, a, of, a, of a reproving question, a question of, uh, it's like, uh, like if I walked in here and that, it's getting cold in here and I like that, but if that air conditioner was turned off, I'd walk in here. And if everybody was a sweating and a fanning, and I'd say, is there no air conditioning in this building? Did they unhook your meter? You know? Well, no. He'd say, well, let's hit the switch. That brother Lee Davis, I'm telling you the truth. He, he, he's got air conditioning, but he won't turn it on. You go to his church, there'd be four or five hundred people in there. I mean, miserable, miserable, miserable. Why don't he turn the thing on? Is there no air conditioning in this place? He, he don't like to see that meter whirl, I think. But is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is the health of the daughter of my people uh, not recovered? Why is the health of the daughters of my people recovered? If there's no physician, if there was no bomb, then we could understand why you're sick. But if we have a physician, if we have a bomb, then I can't understand why. And so I want to talk about we have some medicine. We have the remedy. You'd like to be seated in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I, I looked up. I thought I knew what remedy meant. And I think there's more than one type of remedy. Uh, if, it's, if it's a sickness and if it's an illness and a disease, then, then we're looking for some uh, in... If you go to the hospital for it, we're hoping there's some kind of a of a medicine or some kind of a treatment. Of course, we know that oil in the name of Jesus is a remedy for illness and sickness. I, my wife is, is so amazing. 
uh, Brother Terry was preaching for us way back when we first went to Las Vegas, and she had a, an awful headache. She hardly ever gets a headache. But this particular night, she had a terrible headache, and she had it during the whole service. We went home, and uh, we went to the kitchen to get some coffee or whatever, just for while we talked a little bit, you know, after service tea, Brother Bullock. And uh, my wife said, you know, I should have had you do this at church, but my head is just killing me. Uh, would uh, would you and Brother Terry lay your hands on me and anoint me with oil? Her head was just splitting. And we anointed her with oil and prayed for her, and her head quit hurting so fast that she got the silliest look on her face. And to think that she carried that headache all that time when all it took was just, just a touch of oil in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we do know there's that type of remedy. But looking at it from uh, from the angle that I want to, to talk about it today, that and the scriptures mentioned, is there no balm? Is there no medicine? Is there no physician? Is there no doctor? Then why in the world are you still sick? And uh, the remedy, uh, I I got acquainted with hospitals when I was just a kid. Uh, never we. My dad died when I was uh, seven and a half years old, and uh, mom was a widow. And she'd done very well with widow's pension, and we didn't really, I, I wasn't stunted, I don't think. But uh, we uh, had gone to the coast down in Southern California, and me and my, my cousins, we got down, we went where we wasn't supposed to, we went down to the pier, and we wasn't supposed to be there. And we were running across the boats, jumping from one to the other. And somebody hollered, hey, you kids, and it scared me. I, I knew I wasn't supposed to be there, and he knew he wasn't supposed to be there. And so we split off running, and there was a fence. And the fence was fairly high. For me, it was real high. probably wasn't but about that high. But uh, I ran and kind of hit it with my feet and jumped and throwed my hands up on these old boards. The boards were up like this. And I didn't, I didn't reckon, didn't, didn't take time to look. But in the top of all these boards, there was nails driven to keep the seagulls and things from landing on there. And uh, my hand went over one of those nails, and it went almost through my hand. And then when I went on up, it tore it pretty bad. It's this hand. And it left a, a rear, the, the flesh just came out, big gob. And uh, I went home, and they, they poured kerosene on it, coal oil. That was the medicine of the day. And... Uh, I don't remember it burning or anything, but it was supposed to be an antiseptic to, to kill germs, I suppose. And uh, I wrapped it up, and we got in the car that night and drove home uh, back to Bakersfield. And the next morning, it was all swollen and red, and it looked bad. And so we went to Kern General Hospital because that's free. And uh, I'll never forget, you know, and it wasn't quite eight years old, but I, I remember the corridor. It was a kind of a, a dirty green color. And uh, the pipes, you know, steam pipes and all the pipes was up in the ceiling. It wasn't sealed off, and they were all dusty and dirty and cobwebs. And it was dark. And along the walls, they had uh, benches. And it was loaded with people, suffering people. And I remember uh, one man was there. He, he acted like he was in such pain. And uh, my mother said, He's, he has sinus. And I didn't know the difference between scientists and scientists. And then sinus was, uh, you know, that's when your head all plugged up in your passages. And I didn't understand what that was. It sounded awful to me, but he was, he was, uh, he was really suffering. He was waiting. 
And uh, there were people there holding their jaws, and there was people there that was moaning and groaning, and kids was a crying, and, and it was just, it looked like just a chamber of suffrage, suffering. And um, as I, I remember, we were there for hours and hours and hours waiting, and finally we got to go in, and uh, we, could, it, we could smell the smells of the hospital. And uh, I was afraid because I'd heard other kids that went in that room screaming, and I didn't know what they was doing to them in there. Uh, they were screaming and a hollering and a kicking and a, it'll be okay now, don't worry, the good doctor's not going to hurt you. And I heard all of that. And uh, when I went in, he, uh, the doctor sitting there behind the desk, and he, he had uh, his little stethoscope. I remember all this through a plane. Some of these things I remember better than I do something happened 15 minutes ago. But uh, he, uh, he listened to my heart, and he looked and had a little light on his head, and he looked in my ears. I didn't know why. It was my hand. It was hurting, but he was looking in my ears. And he had me open my mouth, and he took a stick and held my tongue down, and he checked me all out. He gave uh, uh, Mom a little bottle of something, don't know what it was. And then he said, now, uh, take your shirt off. And I thought, uh-oh, now what? And uh, he was giving me a lockjaw shot, tetanus, tetanus shot. And uh, I asked my mom later, what, what was that? And she said, that's so you don't get a lockjaw. Now, what's a lockjaw? You know, a lot of things you don't know at seven. And she said, that's when you get a disease and it settles in your jaws and your, your jaws will clench shut and you can't open your mouth and you can't eat. And I said, well, how do you eat? She said, you can't. And uh, well, can't they do something about it? No, there's nothing to do about it. Once you get locked jaw, you're, you're going to die. And so I was glad I got the shot. And I was glad for what little bit of treatment I did have. But the doctor said, you, wait, you waited too long, can't sew it up, just have to let it heal. And uh, that was my first experience in the hospital. I've had very few experiences in a hospital except I've, I know where all the emergency rooms are now in our city. I know where all the family waiting rooms are and where all the surgery rooms are and all the recovery rooms and I know where all of them are. But thank God I, I haven't been uh, one of their victims. I, God has spared me all this time and uh, hopefully he'll spare me to the very end. But hospitals are they're there to, to help and hopefully they'll have the remedy. I've, I've read a lot about medicine, I've read a lot about hospitals and doctors, and uh, it's, it's a sort of a, a fearful thing to put your hands in the hands of a physician that uh, may not be, he may not know what he's doing. I, I want to go to the book of Matthew, if you will, with, uh, ninth chapter. I'll try to get my liberty here today in a little while. Uh, this is 9, chapter 9, verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Oh, they're just picking, trying to find fault with Jesus. But Jesus, when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Go and learn what that meaneth. That's one of Brother Terry's favorite statements. Go and learn what that means. And that's what Jesus said. Go and learn what that meaneth. But they were picking at him because he was doing like Brother Bullock. He's mixing it up with them. And uh, you didn't go over there to find an apostolic church. You go over there to establish one. And so you're going to be uh, preaching to people who's got on slacks and beads and necklaces and bobbed hair. Amen. But that's what you went there for. You didn't go there to find perfect people. You went there to preach to them. 
And uh, that's what makes it so hard on us today. Uh, we're preaching to churches. We need some more new converts, brother, like you was preaching last night. If you really want to set a preacher on fire, get some visitors out there. If you want, if you want to hear the message on the Godhead, get somebody out there that don't understand it. Amen. That's hungry for it. Not, not somebody just come to fight, but somebody that's hungry. And uh, you'll, you'll find a new fire in your old preacher. You'll think, my, 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 he'd been drinking had a call or something. But once he, once he looks and sees the need. But Jesus, when he came, he didn't find saints. He didn't find redeemed people. He, he came, he found sinners. He found sick folks. And uh, in fact, those that were questioning him were among the sickest. They were sick in their doctrine, sick in their spirit. They were sick in their attitude. But he, uh, he, he found that uh, a reception among the, the publicans and the, and the common people. Uh, they were, they were uh, looking for healing, and they, they wanted to hear his words, and they wanted to hear something new and fresh and hopeful. And, uh, of course, he was criticized. Why does your master eat with the publicans and sinners? And Jesus said, I it didn't come to the, to the well. He didn't come for that. They that are whole need not a physician. But they that are sick, amen. We come with this message. This is a sick society that we're living in. And since we're not out on the street and we're not look, uh, talking to people like you're encountering, fresh, new, uh, but we're preaching to one another, that uh, I didn't come, I'll, I'll just use Jesus' words and kind of paraphrase it a little bit, I really didn't come to preach to the preachers. Although I feel, uh, I feel your presence here. And any, anybody that preaches where there are several preachers in the congregation, you, you can't say that you, that you ignore them. There's a spirit that emits from the ministry. It's not necessarily critical, but you know that they're listening carefully. And so you want to kind of part your hair and, and uh, brush teeth. You want to make sure you get it right because they're listening, listening very, uh, very carefully. And, uh, but I have found that saints listen very carefully, too. But uh, we have to ignore, as it were, the, the spirit that emits from a congregation and go ahead and admit the facts that we know that there are, there are needs here today, regardless of how uh, well you look in an outward holiness aspect. And, uh, and we do appreciate that. And it's a great encouragement for us to go home and lift the standard high and hold it there. And, uh, but we, we also recognize a lot of good qualities about this church. You're, uh, most of you here on time, and uh, you pay attention, and you're not running in and out. And uh, there's, it's just, there's just a wo wonderful qualities here. But I believe there's needs here today. There's something about treating little children that uh, they have special training for that, the pediatricians. They talk to the mother a lot, um, and how has he been acting, and uh, what made you bring him in. They don't turn to the child and say, uh, where are you hurting, Sonny? They don't know. You might say, <laughs> well, do you feel like throwing up? <laughs> they don't know. And so you've got to go by symptoms. And uh, that's why a doctor looks down your throat. That's why he'll look in your ears, see if you've got an earache, see if you've got a sore throat. And uh, the mother may say, he, he just stopped eating, and he just seems to, every time I put something, he just doesn't want anything, and, and he won't eat, and he's listless, and he doesn't have any strength, and, and he doesn't play like he used to, and there's just got to be something wrong with him. 
And so it's up to the doctor to find it out without uh, the aid of somebody that can describe their ails. Their older people can tell you exactly what's wrong with them and pretty well diagnose it for you. And, um, you know, the older we get, the more we talk about our our poor old decrepitated, decrepitated, uh, what am I missing that word pretty bad? But uh, our, our bodies, our arthritis, uh, our back, you man, Brother Daly kind of crippled along a little bit last night. What, hey, man, what's the matter with you? Oh, uh, yeah, well, I said, I know the feeling. I've, I've had some of that myself, and we can talk about it a lot, but a kid can't do that. And uh, so it's up to the physician to know the right medicine and to know the right treatment uh, to, uh, to try to treat the situation. And uh, if, if someone is, does come to us and say, uh, I've, I'm under conviction, that's rare. If, someone, if a sinner comes and says, I've been under conviction a lot, God's been dealing with me, that's, that's rare language for a sinner. Most of the time they sit there and they, they try to look happy, they try to look contented, they try to look like you're not touching me. Try to look, I got it together. I'm happy. These ear bobs and all this paint I've got on and this 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 short hair and, and all the way I'm dressed, don't you ever worry. I'm I'm happy. I'm thrilled. I'm tickled to death. My lifestyle just suits me. But we look through all of that and we know all oh, know it don't. Uh, we know what's happening to you in the middle of the night. We know what happened to you when you hear certain bits of news. Amen. Uh, when things go, uh, as they say, go bump in the middle of the night. Uh, maybe in the middle of the night you get a strange pain that you've never had before. Maybe your heart kind of misses a, a skip, uh, skips a beat or two. And, uh, and you think of the hospital and you think of the doctor, but you also think about God. And you get to thinking about church and you get to thinking about, I haven't been baptized because somebody told you about it. And so when you come here as a sinner, uh, I'm going to ignore uh, the proud look that you're wearing on your face. Amen. And you may look so like you've got it under control. I don't believe that. Amen. I, I believe that we're all just little bitty scared, like little scared animals when it comes to facing eternity. Amen. And facing uh, uh, a God that's going to be judging us for not only our deeds, but our very thoughts and the intents of our heart. Amen. I, I just don't let people push me around too much. I know good and well he may put up a good scene, but uh, a, a good front. But somewhere down deep inside, there's a hunger. God, when God made man, he put a hunger in man's heart. He meant to serve him. And you'll never be happy in this world with the things that this world has to offer. Jesus didn't come to a society that didn't need him, but he came to people that needed him. Man, I, my wife and I, we had such a good time the other day. We stopped at a little, we're going to see my son-in-law's folks. And, and uh, we stopped before we got there because it's real late. Next morning, went to a little restaurant before we went, and uh, we went in, and there were some Jesus' name folks there. We knew that because there was a bus out front at the Apostolic Church, and uh, we, I said, let's see if we can pick them out. Let's see if we can find them. And we went in, and sure enough, they're sitting over there. You could tell in a, just at a glance. That, that's some of ours. And in a little bit, I went over, and I said, did you folks pray before you start eating? And he looked up at me, and he said, well, uh, 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 yeah, yeah. I said, I didn't see you. He said, well, uh, I'm not sure they did, but he claimed they did. And I, maybe he did. Maybe they just kind of bowed their heads real quick. I don't know, but that was my introduction. And so we had a little fun with them. And, uh, but there was a table right next to them that I would imagine it was Methodist ladies. They were so prim. They were so pretty. They had, every one of them had matching ear bobs, it looked like. 
and all of them had a string of, of pearls. They all had feather bobs, and and they all had uh, they all looked nice. They they did. They looked like nice ladies. There'd be somebody you wouldn't mind living next door to, but um, they looked so satisfied and they looked so contented. But I know that down in their heart they don't have what they need. Hallelujah. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? And why is the daughters of my health of my uh, daughter hadn't recovered yet? All right. And so I, I would hate to go in with a heart problem. I mean, a real heart problem. I mean, I've never, as far as I know, had a heart attack. I've never felt any pain. Uh, I blacked out a time or two and felt like my heart quit beating. Kind of scared me. I went in, got on the treadmill and made it fine. Doctor slapped me, you know. And, uh, you're disgustingly healthy. Send me home. I said, well, what's this thing then? He said, oh, that's nothing. He said, how often does it happen? I said, oh, about once, twice a month. I'll uh, feel a little faint spell. He'd say, when that starts happening, oh, 15, 20 times a day, come back and see me. In other words, don't worry about it. Well, I am not sure about that. When the lights start going out around me, I, I wonder what's happening. But if I had a pain that accompanied it, and I went to the doctor, and he looked at me, and uh, he started trying to treat something else besides my heart. I, I'd wonder what kind of doctor this is. Look, Doc, I'm not worried about that little age spot here on my cheek. I didn't come in here for that. I didn't come in here because I, uh, I've got this uh, sore here on my hand that looks like it's not healing. That's not why I'm here. I'm not worried about that. I come here because I got a heart problem. Don't worry about these other little superficial things. I want to know uh, what's going on down in here. And there are people here this morning that uh, I don't want to de-Christianize anybody, but there's people here that have fears this morning. And uh, if you don't, you're going to run into somebody that does. And so what I'm going to be saying today, I hope, will help. Amen. We need the treatment. We're, there must be. There has to be for this world. There has to be a remedy. There has to be a remedy for sin. There was a time that there was ancient remedies. I, I thought of back when I was hearing a lot of crazy things when I was a kid. We was raised in a country uh, that there was a lot of country people. And though I'm from California, I know a little bit about what you call the sticks. Bakersfield had uh, well, a lot of houses we lived in didn't have any power and uh, things that went with power. And a lot of them didn't have running water and things like that. And uh, people we lived with or uh, ran with, went to church with. But uh, some of them would come home on Sunday afternoon and visit with my mom, and I'd hear them talking. And uh, one lady got to talking. They got to talk about home remedies, and some of them I was already acquainted with, the cool oil treatment. And then Mom used to make a mustard plaster, and she'd put it on a, something wool and sticky and hateful, and she'd make me wear that. And then over the top of that, she'd put something tight, and then she'd cover me up, nothing but seemed like my nose is sticking out and get me to sweating. And, and then I, that mustard stuff coming up burning my eyes, and she's trying to get a cold broke up, I guess. That was a remedy, and I guess it worked. I don't know. I'm, so I'm here. I made it through it. But uh, then there was uh, uh, other things. She had other remedies <laughs> that I didn't like. But uh, I told her one time, I said, Mom, I, I don't want that. I, I don't like to taste that. That, make, that makes me sick just about think, thinking about taking a spoonful of that. And she said, this is a tasteless kind. 
And I said, really? She said, it says it right here on the bottle. It's the tasteless kind. Well, after I took it, I told her, I said, it's the only time I ever remember you lying to me because it, it tastes just like all the rest of it did to me. And uh, so I knew about, you know, well, you know, castor oil and stuff like that. You know what I was talking about. And uh, we knew about those things. But this lady come over, and she was talking about um, a cure for the chills. She said, when I was a girl, what my mama did, she said, is she would take the soft part of a biscuit, the, the doughy part, down inside, and she'd roll it up, and she'd put a bed bug right in the middle of that. And us kids would swallow that, and it would cure us of the chills. And I thought, I'd get cured of the chills just for I swallowed that. I'd say, I think I'm doing fine, you know. Yeah. I, I, I never saw a bed bug myself. I've never seen one. But uh, I, apparently she had seen them, and maybe somebody here has seen them. I've seen bugs, but I've never seen a bed bug. And so there's a lot of strange home remedies. And uh, thank God that we have some new remedies that, uh, that, that seem to work a lot better. I'm not preaching medicine. I'm, if, you, if you don't believe in going to doctors, then you just follow the leading your pastor. That's fine. And uh, I tell you one thing, you can save a lot of money and you can save a lot of heartache and you'll be a whole lot better off if God would heal you. But they have... Uh, there was a sulfur drug at one time, way back. And uh, then they used quinine a lot. And there's people today that's blind because you took too much quinine. Now, some of those home remedies would kill you or make you go blind or deaf or whatever. But uh, I remember when, when penicillin, we started hearing about it. Man, it was the cure-all. And I, I injured myself one day when I was working. I cut myself pretty bad. And the doctor gave me a shot of penicillin, and I had a reaction to it. And I found out that, that even some of the cures can nearly kill you. And so uh, I've never had any more since. My, my wife can attest to the fact that, that I suffered for months with that. And every time I, if I do go in for anything, they, I let them know right off, uh, I don't want no penicillin. Why? Well, I, I have a reaction to it. Okay, don't worry, you won't get any. So then they come up with polycillins, and then they come up with antibiotics, and, and they've got all types of things now, and they, and they do seem to help. Uh, I, I like the modern medicine better than I did when the barber would bleed you. I think a lot of people died that might have lived if they just hadn't bled them, because uh, if you're anemic, you sure don't want to lose any blood. But there are modern uh, remedies that I, I like. A lot better than I did some of the older ones. Some will swear by the older remedies, but the the newer remedies, uh, I think, are more uh, well. They're just more effective. In the uh, the Old Testament, men were sick then too, and I want to get away from bodily illnesses, and uh, I want to talk about how that the conscience was alive in the Old Testament, just like the conscience is alive today. Uh, but they were operating, as it were, in the dark ages. They were using uh, the bed bug treatment, as it were, and they were using uh, sulfur drug and, and quinine, and they didn't have what we have today. Uh, I'm glad I'm living in an enlightened age. I'm glad that we have a remedy. Amen. I'm glad that we have a cure. And uh, it, it's a great thing, amen, the cure that we have today. I'd like to uh, read Hebrews Chapter uh, 9 and verse 9. We'll just go straight to the verse. 
which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not, now get it straight, they could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to conscience. Now they had a lot of ritualism. There was a lot of blood flowing. Now there was a, a lot of, I don't want to use the word hocus pocus, but they, they had uh, a special cure, it seemed like, for every heart ailment. And uh, there's one thing about all the did in the Old Testament that uh, the apostle, I believe he wrote Hebrews, they said, he said that it could not make them that came to that perfect as pertaining to conscience. They did what was right. They did what they were supposed to do. They did what God told Moses to tell them to do, but somehow it just didn't do the job. It's uh, like they had an advertisement when I was a kid about they had Duz soap. Anybody remember D-U-Z? Was it double Z? D-U-Z-Z? The advertisement was does, does everything. But it does wouldn't wash away sins. Does wouldn't take out a lot of stains either, but they said it did. They said does, does everything. And uh, the law, that's the best they had. If it was uh, an ancient, uh, antiquated remedy, that's the best remedy they had. And uh, even God himself at that particular time, there was no remedy available. Uh, there was uh, only thing was available is the soul that sinneth it shall surely die. But the goodness of God and the long-suffering of God and the foreknowledge of God, he accepted a substitute. He, he would accept something in lieu of. And uh, God in his foreknowledge and in him there is no variableness or shadow of turning. And every time a lamb died... I believe that God lifted his eyes to Calvary and accepted it, kind of like uh, if you wrote a hot check, uh, you're just hoping you can get to the bank before somebody else gets there ahead of you. Now, I don't, I don't really don't advise doing that, but I don't think there's probably anybody in here that hadn't tried it at one time or another. Saying, well, let's see, this is Friday night. Banks don't open on Monday. Uh, I got to be there Monday morning at 10 o'clock. That's right. I got to be there when the bank's open. Okay, yeah, but don't don't let the man you're writing this check know that. You know, you're talking to your wife over here. Well, okay, you buy it or we'll get it, but I'm telling you right now, nothing can stop me from getting that bank. So we smile and write the check. And we wrote a check on an account that didn't have any money in it. I don't think many of us do that very often, but I, I think probably everybody has at one time or another. Maybe I... Maybe I'm the only one here that's ever done it. I doubt it. And uh, you can uh, you can sure get in trouble doing it. But God accepted the the blood of a lamb and the blood of a innocent victim, knowing that nothing was going to prevent him from getting there Monday morning. But there was something lacking in that remedy. There was no real power in it. It was contingent upon a better day contingent upon better blood. Hallelujah. And if Jesus Christ hadn't have come and died, every one of those sacrifices would have been totally in vain. They without us would not be made perfect. Oh, hallelujah. The old remedy worked, but the, it lacked one thing. There was something dead about it. There was something that did, it just didn't have the zing that it needed to have. Because men could think, and they could look, and they could reason, and they could think, I'm the one that sinned. Why did that lamb die in my place? It never made sense. 
And somehow they went away still feeling guilty, still feeling burdened, still feeling uh, their conscience was not clear. It, that, but I'm reading what the Bible said. The Bible said that. Did you, did you hear I read it? It said it could not make him that came to it uh, uh, free as pertaining to their conscience. The old remedies were wonderful things, but uh, it, it didn't quite get rid of the germ. I want to go to Leviticus, the 14th chapter. We'll just briefly go over one of these remedies that they had. I think it'll be verse 4. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it and the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop, and shall dip them in the living bird uh, and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over running water. He shall sprinkle him, uh, sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed the leprosy seven times and shall pronounce him clean the um, the reason they used two birds is because one had to die but one had to be dipped in the blood and uh, I won't go ahead and read it but I'll, I'll tell you what the rest of it was that the living bird now here's a man that's got a deathly he's got a, a disease this is this is better than swallowing a bed bug. But it doesn't really make sense that here's two birds. And uh, one of them is killed in an earthen vessel over running water. And his blood is sort of dripped and drained. And then his, he's laid over here. And then they take the living bird. And it and all the other things are dipped and sprinkled in the... And he becomes a little red bird. He's, he's soaked in the blood of the one that died. And uh, this little living bird then, he's set free. And the little red bird, he flies off. And here's the man that's got the, the disease. And he looks and he sees one that died. And he looks and he sees the other one. And he watches him fly. And he flies. You can see that little red thing flying. And finally, it's just a little red dot. And you keep watching it. And finally, distance swallows it up. What a beautiful example. But what a crude way. What a way that, that a man could go home that night and still remember, where did that bird go? What did he do? What's happened to him? Maybe he would still have a fear that his leprosy would come on him. 
But uh, this was a symbol. This was an emblem. Uh, this was a remedy. This was a remedy for his disease. That, uh, that this is a way that God chose. This was an old remedy. This was an old method. This was a method that's the best they had. And if, if, you, uh, if you were uh, an ailing person and that was the remedy, you'd take it. If I had to swallow a bed bug, I guess, to get rid of the chills, I suppose I could do it. I ate crawfish with him the other day. They brought out three pounds of the muggly things, and I looked at them, and they had moss uh, up in their little four little old arms, these green-looking mildew stuff. And I'd twist the tails off, and then there was a yellow stuff that come out of there. And I asked him, I said, what is that yellow stuff? He says, oh, I think nothing about it. He was cracking another one. He said, it's just fat. I said, I don't, it don't look like fat. It looked like something besides fat. But I thought, well, don't seem to be hurting him. And uh, we could do a whole lot of things if we just want to do it, you know. A little girl out here the other day had a bug crawling in her hand. I said, man, you ought to put him in the soup. I said, it looked about as good as a craw did. And <laughs> maybe not near as bad. Of course, if you made him as big as a crawdad, he might look pretty bad. Anyhow, I don't know what, how they felt, but the, the Bible said that it didn't set them free as pertaining to their conscience. And here's this uh, a beautiful example, a wonderful type and a wonderful shadow. But you see, they didn't know the rest of the story. You've you got to understand that we're living on the bright side of the revelation, and they were back there in the darkness of it, and when they saw this little bird killed and his blood put in a little vessel and another bird dipped in it and then set free to fly off and the priest said, go on home, you'll be okay now. Well, God would back his word and, and perhaps he'd be cleansed of that leprosy or whatever it was, but it never did take care of his conscience. It never did, uh, it never did really quite do the job. And uh, then we have, that was an old remedy. And it worked and it was beautiful. And we, we use it today, and it's more beautiful to us today than it was to them then, because we know the rest of the story. I'd like to go to the next verse that I want to uh, draw your attention to. This will be in the 16th chapter, and I think it's verse 7. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goats uh, upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement for, with him and uh, to let him go for a scapegoat under the wilderness. The one goat that died and the blood of the dead goat was poured on the living goat. Once again, we have a little red goat. And uh, the one that died was the Lord's. And the one that lived, they poured the blood of the living goat on him. And a clean man would take this living goat and go out of the city and he would walk over the mountains down the valley, over another mountain, way out into the desert somewhere, and go around and around in circles and get the little goat lost. And then he'd unhook him and leave him and 
sneak away from him, hide from him somehow or another so the goat wouldn't follow him back. And then he'd come back to the city. And you know what that was? That was the sins was put on the scapegoat and the scapegoat bore the sins of that individual or that nation or that city or that uh, that tribe, whatever. Uh, it, it was the, he bore the sins of Israel. He took the sins of Israel away. But it never did quite give a complete release of the conscience. That's what we read. It never did. You say, well, that was really a wonderful thing. That that works like uh, coal oil and, and sulfur drug and stuff like that. It, it, you know, the symbolism of it was beautiful. Here's one that died, and he should have died, because ere uh, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. But then here, all the, the death and the guilt of the one that died was loaded on the back of the one that lived. And, I, you know, you had to have two birds. and had to have two goats, because one of them had to be alive to carry the sins away. The little red bird had to be alive. We had to have one that was alive. We couldn't just leave death laying there. But that was a, a sort of a representation of the resurrection. It was a representation of the Lord. When the Lord died, he also arose, and uh, he become our little red bird, and he become our sin bearer. And we understand that, but see, they didn't understand that. And it didn't really do the job in their conscience. That's old medicine. That's old remedies. Those old remedies were, uh, they were beautiful in type. They were beautiful in shadow. Uh, that undoubtedly, I, when I got a little thought one time, and uh brought it to our church. I was really thrilled about it. And when you get thrilled about something you've never preached before, it really works again. But uh, I demonstrated and, and this, uh, the people in the city and the door was shut and uh, somebody on the, up on the wall, the watchman on the wall, he said, he called somebody else's attention to, look what's coming. And he got somebody else over and got somebody else over. It wasn't long until somebody said, what are they looking at? And a bunch of people crawled up on the wall and began to look, what's, what's happening? And then suddenly uh, they hear a noise at the gate. And they, they wonder, what's going on? What's going on? Are we being invaded? And what's, what's striking their hearts with terror is that there's about 20 red goats all tattered and torn. And their skin has still got red dye on them, but they come home. And they're butting the wall. They want them back in. What a horrible thing for Israel to wake up and see that the scapegoats that took their sins away found their way back. So, you know, it could happen. One of the old goats might get to wander around and say, Ah, ah, there's my city. Hey, fellas, come on, let's go back. Whoa, what a plague that would be to have your sins bore away and then one day wake up and have your sins coming back. That's old medicine. I don't like that medicine. I like the new medicine that we have. Hallelujah. We've, we've got something that works we got something that works every single time. And you don't ever have to worry about the goats coming back, butting on, on your door, trying to get back in. You don't have to worry about the little red bird flying back, perched up on your windowsill. Hey, man, our sin bearer has, has done a good job. He's, took, he's taken it away, and it, it will never come back again. And so the, these old uh, remedies, they worked. And they were a comfort. And they were the best they had. And in fact, that's the best God had at that time. That's right. He looked for a man to stand in the gap. There was no man. There was no one fit to die in your place or my place. An animal. He, did, he took no delight, the Scripture said. You don't take any delight in burnt offerings. We read that to you the other day. That uh, 
Uh, the, the ashes of a red heifer, it's, it's not what I take a delight in. They could never remove sins or take sins away. I want to go to Hebrews 9 and 22 now. Got all these ribbons here. All right. And almost all things are by law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. Not only was it so then, but it's so now. Under the law, everything that you can think of, you just look at it, and it's all purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. There's no other way. There was no other way that God provided. It was always took blood. Blood has always been a constant. It, it, from the very beginning, it took the blood of the innocent animals to, uh, to get the skins to cover Adam and Eve's uh, nakedness. And then uh, we see it all through the scriptures. You can see that it took blood and every dispensation. And if you don't like the word dispensation, I guess we could say a section of time or, or division of time, whatever uh, would suit you. But in every time and every method and every way that God has ever dealt with man, it's always taken blood. Never been a time. And uh, there will never be a time that it doesn't take blood until Jesus comes and wraps it all up and the church is gone it's all over. Then there won't need no blood anymore. Amen. We don't need a sacrifice. We, don't, we won't need a red bird or a red goat, and we won't need Calvary anymore then. But we're going to need Calvary until he gets back. Amen. We're going to need his blood. Amen. Not only at the waters of baptism. Somebody, uh, you know, they can really get ridiculous when they're trying to get the Trinities in without being baptized in Jesus' name. And so they go to the tabernacle plan, and they'll say, well, let's see, the blood was applied at repentance. And so if you repent, you'll be all right. But wait a minute, that wasn't the end of the blood trail. There never was a time that you were finished with the blood in the tabernacle plan until you got to the mercy seat. Amen. And when, the, when it finally hit the mercy seat, then the job was done. But uh, I think it was, uh, we counted them up once, I think it was 27 places. I mean, the priest put blood on his ear and on his big toe and on his big thumb. He put blood all around the furniture, all over the floor. He sprinkled it everywhere. And finally, when he got into the holiest of holies, this was not just blood at the altar. It wasn't just blood at the laver. It wasn't just blood at the table of, of shoe bread. It wasn't just blood at the, at, the, uh, at, at the candles and at the altar of incense. No, it was the same blood, but it was used at every station. Finally, when, uh, once a year when that high priest opened that, and uh, it's not in the scriptures, but they used to say that, that they tied a rope around his leg because if he went in there and he hadn't done it all right, God would kill him. And that may be tradition, it may be true, but he had pomegranates and bells on the skirt of his robe. And when that thing quit ringing, they figured he's dead, I suppose. But he'd go in there, nobody knew what he was doing in there. But finally, when he poured the, re the residue, the remainder of that blood on the mercy seat, the Shekinah of God would light that place up. A cloud from heaven would settle. A shout would go up from the camp. And that was glorious. But that isn't there, nothing near as glorious as what we have today. The Bible said it's much more today, much more. Oh, hallelujah. Those were old remedies. That was an old type. And that God never did really take delight in the blood of bulls and goats, only that they represented his own death and his own sacrifice. Hallelujah. But uh, we do know that in the Old Testament, our schoolmaster taught us that everything was purged with blood. And we also learned that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is none. If you want to get, uh, you know, you hear crazy things. One woman said, her grandma died, and she said, and I know Granny made it. I know she's saved. Because 
She was sick for a long time, and her little old sweet head laid there on that pillow all that time. And when we, when she finally passed away, we very carefully took the scissors and opened that little pillow. And there was the prettiest little crown of feathers you ever did see. And I know that that crown of feathers represented her crown in heaven. What a flimsy hope. Anybody lay there that long, and the feathers are going to work themselves into some kind of a design, I suppose. That, that, that isn't, that's a remedy I don't want to trust. I don't want to trust that type of remedy. And these slick, slimy, oily preachers on the radio telling you you don't have to be baptized, you don't have to have this, you don't have to have the Holy Ghost, all you got to do is believe. You can swing out on that if you want to, but I, I'm going to go by what the Scripture said. Amen. There is no, absolutely no remission where there's no blood. And... Uh, Hebrews 10. For the law having a shadow of good things, the first verse to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. It couldn't do it. There was no power there, no strength. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshiper once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. Man, wouldn't indeed have done it over and over, year after year after year. But in these sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Every year they were reminded of it. Reminded every year. Oh, the consciousness of sin. Amen. Uh, what, what a horrible thing to have to be made aware of it, and to be reminded of it time and time again. For it was, if it was possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin, wherefore... When he cometh into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offering and in sacrifice for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me to do thy will, O God. Hallelujah. When Jesus came, he claimed the volume of the book. The volume would be from cover to cover. It was all written about him. I'm reminded of those two disciples that were uh, walking from on the road to Emmaus. And they were so sad and their faces were so long. And somebody resented the other day somebody referring to a mule. Well, uh, they do have long faces. And uh, in that respect, maybe they had uh, the face of a mule. But they looked so sad. They were walking so sad. Jesus joined them. And he said, What manner of communication have you one to another that you walk and you're so sad? And he didn't let them know who he was. He disguised himself, as it were. He had something over their eyes. They couldn't see it. And uh, they said, What? Are you a stranger in these parts and you don't know? Know what? He didn't say he didn't know, you know. Well, how that, you know, Jesus, uh, we looked to him to be the prophet that was going to change things. And... and he, he was a prophet, mighty in word and in deed, and our hopes was in him. And they, they crucified him and put him in the grave. You haven't heard about any of that? Huh? Well, let me tell you about it. This is the third day, too. That's why we're sad. And Jesus said, Oh, fools, and slow of heart, to believe all that the Scripture saith. We just read here where he said, In the volume of the book it is written of me. 
Every allegory, every analogy, every sacrifice, everything they did, the tabernacle plan in its fullness, all was written about Jesus. It's all fulfilled in him. The, the, uh, the altar uh, of sacrifice, the altar of incense, the laver, every piece of furniture, every covering, every little silver socket, every little thing, all the colors of the... It was all written about him. Even, even what the priests were doing, it was written about him. He come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, I come to do thy will, O God. Sacrifice and offerings, you didn't want them, but a body hast thou prepared me. You didn't want the little red bird, that was, that was an antique remedy. You didn't want the scapegoat, that was just a type and a shadow. That was suggestions of me. Hallelujah. But it, it, in the volume of the book it is written of me, I come to do thy will, O God. Hallelujah. What a... What a challenge it was, and uh, oh, how our captain rallied to it. And so, as they, they walked, Jesus began to talk to these disciples, oh, fools, and so slow of heart to believe all of the prophecies, and he began with Moses. Now, what did he tell them about Moses? Well, Moses is the one that wrote Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And when he began with Moses, he had to start out at the creation. He had to start out at the garden. He had to start out at the original sin. He had to start out with the coverings. And he might have reminded them, do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned? Yeah. Well, do you remember what God did? He stepped down and he said, where are you, Adam? And Adam said, we're hiding over here. What you wearing there? said, fig leaves. I don't ever do. And so God actually killed these animals right in front of Adam and Eve. As these guys began to hear it, their expression changed. Their face shortened up a little bit. And they started having a different, a, a different attitude, a different feeling. And then he took them on down. I, I'll tell you one I'm sure that Jesus told them about. It was when, when Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain. Amen. When Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain, he said, Here's wood and here's fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And so he bound Isaac hand and foot. And when he drew back the knife and had fully intended on taking Isaac's life, an angel prevented it and pointed. And there was even a, a ram hid in the thicket. Maybe Jesus told him about that. Now, that may not make anybody happy, but it made Isaac happy made Abraham happy. When there he is getting, a, getting ready to take his own son's life and his son's looking and he knows his dad means business and suddenly if, if, if nobody ever appreciated uh, a lamb dying in your place, I'm sure Isaac appreciated it that day. He probably got the picture better than any other time in his whole life and he, when he stepped off of that altar, that's where he should have died. But here's a lamb that took his place. Hallelujah. And he told them about that, I'm sure. And as Jesus walked along with these, they finally got to their house. And uh, they said, well, here, here's our home. Uh, and he made as though he'd go on. So, well, it's been nice talking to you, men. And uh, he made as though he'd walk on, and they constrained him. They said, come on, come on in, and, and let's keep talking. And let's keep, let, we got some bread in here. We'll break bread. So they went in and sat down at the table. And I'll, I'll always believe this is the way it happened that when they put the loaf of bread on the table and they asked him to break the bread, 
that when he reached up, they saw hands, and they were nail-scarred. And when he broke the bread, their eyes were opened, and he vanished out of their sight. Oh, what a spirit was in that room. They saw those nail-scarred hands. And they looked at each other. They were speechless, no doubt. And finally, one of them got his, his wits about him, and he said, uh, that, that, that was... Did not our hearts burn within us when he walked with us? Revelation was coming to them. They was beginning to understand why there was a Calvary. Beginning to understand he was the lamb. He man, this this is better than the old medicine. This is better than a ram. He man going there and Isaac hopping off. This is better than that. He man, when our lamb went on, we all got off. Not only in the days of the apostle, but it's still good today. Amen. 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 It's not something that happened year in and year out, and we have to repeat it over and over. We have to have a Calvary every year. No. He came once at the end of this life, at the end of this world. And he died once and once and for all. He'll never have to repeat it again. You talk about a powerful, oh, the efficiency of Calvary. Amen. It, it was powerful in that day. And I, I like to think of how that the cross... It had two arms, if it's if it's anything like we see pictures of it, and uh, stretching both ways. Not only did the blood of Jesus Christ, Amen, cover the present day sin of the day that He died, but it reached all the way back to Adam, and it took all of those hot checks and it rolled them all up into one, and He stamped them paid. They without us would not be made perfect. All the sacrifice of all the patriarchs suddenly was made valid. Suddenly it had a meaning. Suddenly it had some value to it. Until Jesus made that great and powerful deposit on Calvary, all the patriarchs would have been lost. But he reached back, amen, and he stamped it, A-OK, plenty of here, don't worry about it. Amen, you'll never run out now. Amen, debt is paid. Not debt is, uh, you still owe it, it's paid. It's remitted. When a debt is remitted, it's paid. If a debt is forgiven, that's a wonderful thing, but when it's paid, it's better. And he paid it. He paid it. Oh, hallelujah. I'm glad he paid my bill. He paid my bill. And then that arm reached all the way down to the day that we're living right now. And it's still as powerful today as it was then. It hasn't diminished not one little bit. Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus Christ is powerful. We have uh, a new remedy. I want to go to Acts 10 chapter. Him gave all the prophets witness. He started with Moses, and their hearts burned within them. To him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. This is Peter preaching to Carnelius' household, as you know. And to him gave all the prophets witness. To him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, through his name. Hallelujah. I, I want to read another verse in, uh, in the book of Acts. This would be 22 and 16. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I want to hold those, three script those two scriptures and get a third book of 
John, 1 John 1 and 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sins. Hallelujah. Without shedding of blood, there's no remission. But as I was mentioning to you the other day, how do we get that blood? You mean that blood 2,000 years ago, it's dried up, it's gone. It's dehydrated. It's, it's gone into the soil. The wind's blown it away. It's not available. But yet, it's through his blood we have remission of sin. Amen. We're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so then we, we go back to the scripture we just read in Acts 10 and 43. And we find out that through his name, through his name, whosoever believes in him shall receive remission of sin. It's through his name. You see, the blood and the name are synonymous. They, they become synonymous. Since we, uh, since we have, this is our access. This is our medium. This is, uh, when we use the name of Jesus, we're using the blood of Jesus. They're, they're synonymous terms. If you don't use the name of Jesus, you don't have the blood of Jesus. This is why the name of Jesus in water baptism is absolutely essential. You leave the name out, you don't have any blood. It could be anybody's blood. It could be anybody's tomb. There are those that would seek to circumvent Matthew 28, 19. And uh, I've heard strong argument that it was written differently, interpreted differently, and that somebody sought to, to uh, give a little authenticity to the title baptism. I, I don't want to take that route. Now, it may be true. I, I don't know. It may be true. I, but I, I kind of like to take the, the fact that God was able to preserve his Bible and that, uh, that it's just fine. And if they did mess it up, they, they just got themselves deeper in trouble. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost. To me, is one of our most powerful starting points. And uh, I've, I've heard the argument about, uh, about that, and I think, well, uh, that gets us in more trouble. When we start preaching that uh, the scriptures have been messed with, then we get in trouble there. And so I'm like, well, I'm not even going to mention that. Even though I know about that, I'm not going to talk about that because I don't like that. I'll take Matthew 28, 19 just like it is. Hallelujah. To me, it's a great place to start. I, I usually, well, I'll just use this here. Then here's a Trinitarian going to baptize you. And he said, I baptize you in the name of the Father. What's the name of the Father? He didn't baptize in the name of the Father. He said he's going to and didn't. I baptize you in the name of the Son. I know they don't dip three times. Some of them do. And I baptize you in the name of the Holy Ghost. Now, he said he's going to do it, but he didn't. There's no name mentioned there. What is the name of the Son? Everybody knows that one. Thou shalt call his name Jesus save his people from their sin. Jesus said, I came in my Father's name. The Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name. Yeah, we know all of that, St. John 14, chapter. We, we know those scriptures. I don't want to take a lot of time with you on that one. I'm not trying to prove this doctrine. I'm trying to make us appreciate it. Hallelujah. That it's at the name of Jesus. Amen. That the blood is applied. We don't have to go back to the, to the, uh, the blood of a, of a dove. We don't have to go back to the blood of a goat. We don't have to go through that, that old antiquated, that, those old remedies. We got a new remedy. We got a, a miracle remedy. We got a name, amen, that, that is so convenient, that it's so handy, that you can, you can speak the name of Jesus in a time of danger before you can say help. 
And I mean it'll get there before you get it out of your breath. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, that's, that's our access to the blood. That is your access to the blood. You go to the water baptism and you don't put the name of Jesus in it, you don't have the blood of Calvary on your soul. Somebody said it's not necessary to be baptized. Well, then I guess it wasn't necessary for Jesus to die. It wasn't necessary for him to come and be born and to die on Calvary. I mean, let's just throw it all away if we're going to throw away what's really good. On the day of Pentecost, they said, what must we do? And I don't believe Peter was out of his mind. And if he was, there were some other apostles there that was just, uh, they were they were cream puffs. Why didn't they stand up and say, wait a minute, Peter. You missed it. They amened him. Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. I mean, they've been remitted. Their bill's paid. Thank God the, the goats are not going to come back beating on the door. Little red bird's not going to be on your windowsill. They're gone. They're ever, forever removed. He is our scapegoat. He's our little red bird. Amen. We got it all rolled up and wrapped up in the name of Jesus Christ, which represents the power of Calvary. Oh, hallelujah. Now, it wasn't just anybody's blood. It wasn't the blood of a bull or a goat, or it wasn't the blood of just any man. But it happened to be the blood of one that came into this world without a natural father. Every one of us in here have our father's blood in our veins. And I've told you this before, and you already know it. And I'm sure Brother McDaniels has told you this. But, but you, all the blood that's in your veins came from your father. But Jesus came. There wasn't a speck, not a drop, not an atom of Adam's blood in his veins. The blood that was in his veins came straight from the Spirit of God. Pure, sinless, stainless, eternal. No death in it. He walked around that receptacle, that little vessel that had the purest thing that this world had ever known. All contained in his body. And all the while he was on earth, there was no guile found in his mouth. Not one time did he sin. He, he didn't go to Calvary for his transgressions. He had none. He didn't go there because he was guilty with Adam's blood in his veins and he had to die because of Adam inherited blood uh, death from Adam no 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 he, he was not a descendant of Adam and I want you to know that if, if we could dramatize it I wished I could I wished I, I could dramatize it but no doubt while Jesus was hanging there on Calvary that heaven all the angels ain't caring about what's going on in hell or nothing else they're not caring about anything that's going on anywhere. They're watching to see the purest thing that ever happened in the world when they saw that red blood. The blood that represented the debt that every one of us owed. He paid in one payment. He paid When I think of all the sins in the world, they tell me Houston's a wicked city. And I live in a wicked Las Vegas has got open center, very wicked. When I think of Tokyo, Mexico City, Paris, London, Berlin, these great cities, these huge cities, Atlanta. There's places in Atlanta you don't want to be. It's, it's a wicked city. All the sin that went on in Atlanta in one night. It took quite an offering just to cover the sins of Atlanta for 
covered the sins, the accumulated sins, the compounded sins, the mountain of sin from the days that Adam and Eve was on this earth. The sins of all the wicked cities, the sins that happened in all the wars, the sins that happened in all the dark places of this world. Not only the sins up to the time of Calvary, but he went on in a projected way and he died for the future sins of this world. If you think it, that he paid for that with, with just out of pocket chains, I'm telling you, he paid for that with his own blood. But it was plenty worthy. It's the only thing that would do it. But it did it. So I'm going to spend the next five minutes trying to tell you something that we're, we're going to be saved. He didn't fail. We got a remedy. Yeah, but we got it made. It's, I went to a church one time, and uh, I, I, was, I, I hadn't been preaching very long, and that's kind of silly. Well, not silly, but I, I was a little bit uh, reckless. But that way, let's get the right words. I wasn't silly. I was reckless. And I looked out at that congregation, and I told them about Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, they lied to the Holy Ghost, and God struck them dead. I said, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want to make sure you answer it right. Don't dare lie to the Holy Ghost. Oh, you know, I really want to make sure this truth. I said, I want everybody that feels like if Jesus were to come right now, I want you to stand to your feet if you're ready. And there wasn't nobody stood. They was afraid to say they was ready because they, they, they didn't know about that. All the one that stood was the pastor and his wife and one man. And I was standing because I knew what I was going to preach. And I looked around and the whole looking at their pastor, looking at me. You don't believe you're saved? If Jesus was to come right now and you're the bride of Christ and you've been doing all this shouting and running, you've been doing all this hopping and skipping, and, and you don't believe you're saved, what are you shouting about? I, I'm, now, I, I, I'm ready to go now. Hallelujah, I won't go over the top. No. What are you shouting about if you don't think you're saved? And if you're saved, what makes you think you're saved? I'll tell you what you're saved about. It's what I'm preached about. It's not something good you've done. No, it's not, it's not the good life that you're living. Man, it, we have to give all the glory and the praise to a God that came and paid a debt. I mean, He paid the debt. The debt is stamped, paid. Let the devil in hell look at it. Let all the imps look at it. Thank God I went down in Jesus' name. My bill is paid. Hallelujah. Hey, man, I don't have to worry about a goat trying to get back in my city. I don't have to worry about a red bird flying over on my shoulder. Thank God the bill is paid. Oh, hallelujah. Glory. We got a hope. We got something that we can be proud about. We got something we can be confident of. It's not a weak thing. This is not something flimsy and weak. This is something strong and powerful. Thank God when He come, He didn't come messing around hoping to open up a door. He opened the door. He made it possible. There's going to be somebody in heaven. There's going to be a bride sitting around. Amen, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Somebody's going to make it. Somebody's going to make it. I'll tell you who they are. It's people who have repented of their sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, 
filled with the Holy Ghost. Without the Spirit of Christ, you're none of His. So, so you got to have the Holy Ghost. You got to have it, and you got to live a holy life. But after we've done those things, take heart. Take heart. See, yeah, but after I did all that, I've sinned. Take heart. Call on that name. Thank God, there's power in that name. You don't have to be baptized again, but you'll never be done with the blood. When you come out of the waters of baptism, you're not through with the blood. You're going to need the blood from that day till Jesus comes for you. There'll never be a day that you'll be finished with the blood. Oh, it may be a tiny little sin, but you're going to need the blood. You might have just got mad and said an ugly word. Ooh, that word was still in me. What am I going to do? I'm going to go to hell. No, you're not. You're going to say, oh, God, let your blood wash me again. Oh, yeah. And it's so instantaneous. This doesn't take a long process. It's so it's instant. Your heart meets the condition. Your faith reaches up. You just whisper the name of Jesus. Or scream it or holler it or do anything. Write it if you can't talk. Think on it if you can't do that. The Bible says there's a book of remembrance. Those that thought on his name. I get such a thrill. My wife got a thrill out of it the other day. She's telling me about it. talking about Jesus, and they got to talking about the power of Calvary. They got to talking about some beautiful thing. And uh, I think as my wife said, just think, right now, there's a book of remembrance being written up for us. On the 23rd of June, 1994, these ladies were talking about my name. They were thinking about my name. And here we are preaching about His name and thinking about His name. Why? Because all the power of the blood has been invested in His name. Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. To Him gave all the prophets witness that through His name. Now you say, well then what about the blood? That is the blood. Don't you get it? Come on. Get the cobwebs out of your brain. The name of Jesus is synonymous with His blood. When we say Jesus, we're reaching for the blood. We're reaching for Calvary. Thank God He will cleanse you. He will wash you. He will take your sins, remove them as far as the east is from the west, put them in the deepest sea to be remembered no more. You're on your feet and I'm nearly done, but I want to take care of something while, I'm, while we're at it. You've heard the scripture misquoted. I'm sure you've heard it misquoted. Let's get it right today. To re be remembered against you no more. You say, well, it implies that. No, no, it implies something better than that. To be remembered against you no more is good. But to be remembered no more is better. You know, I sometimes think it puzzles God when we come confessing something He done forgave us for. I don't know if I've ever offended you, but if I have, let's pretend I have. Let's pretend I've offended you. And I've already apologized. Brother Daniels, you know, last week I already apologized. You said it's all right for me to forget it, but I just can't get it off my mind. Would you forgive me again? Brother McDaniels look at me and say, just like he did. Uh -huh. Next day I come back. Daniel, would you forgive me? <laughs> and you say, uh-huh. 
let that go on about a thousand times. Brother McDaniels, Brother McDaniels, said, go on away. Leave me alone. But I forgave you. But I'll tell you what it is. It's an insult to Brother McDaniels. When he says, forget it. I don't hold it against you no more. It's over. That's just a man. And we can say, okay, Brother McDaniels, I believe you. I trust you. And we don't have to talk to him no more about it. But when we go to the Lord and we we apologize and we say, God, forgive me. Then the next night we go with the same thing. You say, yeah, but I did it again. Well, then in that case, you better do it again. You better go to him again. But you know what will happen? It won't be long until you get so ashamed you're going to quit doing what you're doing. Or you'll quit asking forgiveness for it. It's either it's going to be one thing or another. You, you're through or you're through with that. And so I'm, I am so happy that we have a remedy. It's not a, a hope so thing. I don't know a whole lot about Bishop Haywood. He had some good truths. He had some things I didn't like. He said something. I ain't going to go into that. But uh, about the no light doctrine kind of stuff, you know. And I don't accept that. But he said something in a little article I read one time he had written. And he said, kind of poetic, and he said, pillow my head on no guess. Kind of strange, isn't it? I don't want to lay my head to rest on a guess. Because in the middle of the night, those goats might be trying to knock the door down. Those birds could be fluttering at the windowsill trying to break the glass out. I don't want to pillow my head on a guess, but I want to rest my case in him. I want to rest my case in his name. Rest my case in Calvary. He did not come and just almost open the door. He come and provided a remedy. There is a remedy. And brother, when, when you're dancing, it's a spirit.